0: beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we began the third section of the Catechism dealing with our thankfulness. We learned that as redeemed and renewed Christians, we must do good works. In our lives we are to bear fruits of thankfulness to God so that his name is praised, so that we may be made sure of our faith that our neighbor may be one for Christ. We can't do that of ourselves. Our sinful nature is incapable of doing any good. Yet through the power of Christ and of his Holy Spirit, we're enabled to do so. Jesus Christ said to his disciples, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Thus we see that it is through the power of Christ's Spirit dwelling in us that we can bring forth fruits of thankfulness. In Lord's Day 33, the Catechism discusses how it is that we are enabled to do good works. It speaks about how our old sinful nature is put to death and how the new nature worked in us by the Holy Spirit comes to life. It calls this the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. So, we deal in Lord's Day 33 with the repentance or the conversion of man. The point is, we need to go through a great change, a transformation of our lives. When dead in our sins, we need to come to life in Christ. And beloved, we all need to undergo this change. The Forum for the Baptism of Infants describes how we're all conceived and born in sin. It says that we are therefore by nature children of wrath, so that we cannot enter the kingdom of God unless we are born again. In some Christians' lives, this change has occurred suddenly. Think, for example, of the Apostle Paul, who was converted through a special experience on the road to Damascus. In other people's lives, this change has worked slowly through time. You can think of Paul's fellow worker Timothy, who was instructed in the faith from an early age onward. The timing of our conversion is not really all that important. What's important is that this change is happening in our lives. How can we know if this process is happening in our lives? To answer this question, we need to examine somewhat further what the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new nature are. Our catechism speaks about the dying of the old nature as a grieving for our sins and fighting against them. It speaks about the coming to life of the new nature as a joy in God through Christ, Through which we delight in doing good works. So we can examine ourselves by seeing whether this grief and this joy are present in our lives. Summarize the Word of God for you this afternoon in the form of a question Do the marks of conversion show forth in your life? Do you see in your life a godly sorrow for sin? and a godly joy in righteousness? Our catechism speaks about the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new nature. When it does so, it talks about two parts of the same process. It's not so that first the old nature dies off and that only then the new nature comes to life. Both of these elements take place at the same time. It's as the old nature dies that the new nature comes to life. Our old nature will never completely be put to death in this life, and our new nature will never be perfected during our time on this earth. There will continue to be a struggle between the old nature and the new nature as long as we live. You experience that struggle in your life, beloved? We all have good times and bad times in our lives. We all have times when we're really happy and times when we're really sad. When a baby's born and all is well, our joy can be full. We're so thrilled with the Lord's blessings, we can't stop talking about it. When a loved one is taken away out of this life, we can be deeply saddened. Our sorrow clouds our life, our perspective, We grieve because someone we loved is gone and leaves behind an empty place. Yes, beloved, we all know what it means to be happy. We all know what it means to be sad. Happy about the good things that happen to us in this life and sad about the bad things that happen to us. But when we speak about our conversion, the question is not if we ever grieve or if we ever rejoice. The question is, is a little more specific than that. Do you grieve because of your sins? Is there deep sorrow in your heart because you've offended God with them? Do you rejoice in your relationship with God, restored through grace in Christ? Is it a delight for you to live according to the will of God and all good works? Beloved, you experience the same grief and joy in your life with God as you do in the death of a loved one or the birth of a child? Let's consider in some more detail the dying of the old nature. This afternoon we'll do so by examining the lives of Israel's first two kings. We look in the first place to the life of King Saul. What we're particularly interested in is Saul's response when he's confronted with sin in his life. 1 Samuel 15 describes how the Lord sent Saul to punish Amalek for what he had done to Israel. God's command is very specific. Saul was commanded to attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. The Lord said, Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Saul went and attacked Amalek. He destroyed the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. When Samuel confronts Saul with his sin, we see him make excuses. We see him try shift the blame. Saul's excuse is that it was the people who took the best of the animals and that they did so to sacrifice them to the Lord at Gilgal. Even though Saul was king and thus provided leadership, he blames this sin on the people. Even though he had disobeyed the Lord's explicit command, Saul tries to justify his actions by saying, he took the animals to sacrifice them to the Lord. No, beloved, that we see no admission of guilt. We see a total lack of remorse. Saul did not grieve with heartfelt sorrow. They defended God with his sin. Samuel accuses Saul of disobedience and rebellion. He makes it clear to Saul that he's guilty of rejecting the word of the Lord. Later we see that Saul is sorry. But why is he sorry? He's sorry about the consequences of his sin. He's grieved about the fact that the Lord would take the kingship away from him and give it to another. The last part of 1 Samuel 15 makes it plain Saul's more concerned about finding honor before the people than he is about being reconciled in his relationship with God. Let's now contrast Saul's life with that of David, the king who replaced him. 2 Samuel 11 speaks about David's sin of adultery with Bathsheba and of murdering her husband Uriah to cover it up. This passage makes it clear that Satan again attacked Israel's theocratic king in an attempt to ruin and destroy God's people. But it also shows forth the Lord's grace on David and his steadfast love for his people. The Lord does not allow Satan to win this battle. Through his spirit, he convicts David of his sin and leads him on the pathway Of true repentance. The Lord also used a prophet to confront David with his sin. Nathan tells David a parable about a rich man who kills his neighbors one and only beloved lamb while he had many flocks and and herds. David becomes angry. He pronounces a severe judgment on the man who had done this thing. He says the man who has done this deserves to die. And then comes the climax of the story. Nathan says to David, You are the man. He outlines David's sins to him, and he proclaims the Lord's judgment on his sin. Note, beloved, David's response. There's no ducking for cover. David doesn't make any excuses. He doesn't shift the blame onto anyone else. Nathan's words pierced him to the heart. What does David say? I have sinned against the Lord. When confronted with his sin, David responds with a humble heart and a contrite spirit. We see that further from what he wrote in Psalm 51. It's a psalm that David wrote specifically in connection with his sin of adultery with Bathsheba and his sin of murdering Uriah. Psalm 51 is a prayer for repentance. David pleads with God to have mercy upon him. He prays, "Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin." David confesses his sins before the Lord. He says to God, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It's clear that David grieves with heartfelt sorrow because of his sin. He's not just sorry because of the consequences of his sin, because of the punishment God brings upon him. Rather, he's sorry because he's offended God by his sin. David humbles himself. He pleads for God's mercy and his steadfast love. For David desires to be restored in his relationship with the Lord. Beloved, how do you react when confronted with sin in your life? Are you like Saul? And that you try to minimize your wrongdoing? Do you make excuses or try to shift the blame onto someone else? How do you respond when your conscience accuses you that you've sinned? Are you willing to humble yourself before God? Do you get down on your knees to pray? Do you confess your sins to the Lord? Or are you too proud to admit your wrongdoing? Our catechism teaches us that the true repentance or conversion involves the dying of the old nature. Do you see that in your life? That you grieve because of your sins? Do your sinful thoughts and words and deeds cause you to sorrow about the way that you offend our holy God? Are you only sorry when you get caught doing something wrong? And if you're punished or if you have to make restitution for it? What kind of spirit rules your heart? A spirit of rebellion and stubbornness? Are you governed by a broken spirit and a contrite heart? Godly grief for sin is something that's worked in us by the Holy Spirit Through his word, God convicts us of our sin, and then he makes us truly sorry for it. True sorrow for sin is seen in that we hate the sin itself, that we flee from it. An unbeliever will say that he is sorry, but he actually is not. He's only sorry because he got caught. If he could get away with it, he'd do it again. There's no hating of the sin itself. There's no running away from it. Well, that's different in the life of a child of God. True conversion involves an inward change of heart. It's described as a rebirth. For the Holy Spirit creates in us a new heart by which we're able to live a new life in Jesus Christ. The change is so great that the Canons of Dort, chapter 3, 4, article 12, compares it with a new creation and with the resurrection of the dead. In our first point we've seen that true conversion involves a godly sorrow for sin, involves grief and tears. Yet the same process of conversion also involves a heartfelt joy in God through Christ. I've summarized our second point under the question do you see in your life a godly joy in righteousness. The coming to life of the new nature causes us real joy and happiness in our lives. True conversion is not a matter of walking around with a sad face all the time because of the burden of our sins. It includes much rejoicing and thankfulness because this burden has been lifted from us in Christ. Our Bible reading from Psalm 51 makes this clear. The same David who lamented because of his sins also rejoices because of God's grace. He prays, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have broken rejoice. And restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me with a willing spirit. David prays that God in grace will restore him in his relationship with him. For he longs for the joy of living in the faith with the burden of sin removed from his life. Another psalm David wrote describes even more vividly the joy involved in true repentance. Psalm 32 speaks of the joy of forgiveness. David sings about the blessings of those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. He speaks of how for a long time he had lived in his sin. It was a truly miserable experience for him. David says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up like by the heat of summer. David's sorrow and suffering was turned into joy when he confessed his sin to the Lord. He speaks about how the Lord surrounds those who repent with songs of deliverance. David says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, you upright in heart. In David's life, we see that his sorrow was turned into joy. Through the mighty working of the Spirit in him, he was restored from misery to a living relationship with the Lord his God. What a contrast there is between Saul and David. 1 Samuel 16, verse 14 tells us that now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. We see the effect it had on Saul. He gradually became an angry a bitter, a spiteful man. Despite all David did for him, Saul became envious of David and sought to kill him. Saul's life degenerated more and more. He killed the priests of Nob because they sheltered David. He inquired of a medium because the Lord no longer answered him. Saul's life ends in suicide on the battlefield. Saul's lack of repentance led him further and further away from God and more and more into misery and despair. Now we can ask, what was the difference between Saul and David? Was it just that Saul refused to repent and that David did? Well, the Lord holds all people accountable for their deeds we cannot attribute David's joy or Saul's despair just to these men themselves. The difference between the two was that the Holy Spirit continued to work in David while he departed from Saul. The difference was that through the work of the Spirit in him, David sought his refuge and salvation in God, while Saul did not. Yeah, beloved, this, is, this does not leave us without responsibility In Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, Paul commands us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Yes, it is true that we will only turn to God and seek him if he works this in us by the power of his spirit. But at the same time, God commands us to work out our own salvation. The Spirit does not work in a vacuum. We need to give the Spirit opportunity to work by reading and by studying the Bible, by listening to the gospel preached, by praying for the Spirit's work within us. On the final day, no one will be able to blame God for not working conversion in his heart. God has given the means. We're called to use them. Our catechism teaches us that true repentance or conversion includes a heartfelt joy in God through Christ. It involves a rejoicing in God and His boundless grace that He's accomplished for us in Jesus Christ, His Son. Beloved, do you experience the joy of conversion in your life? Have you ever had it that after you could have confessed your sins, the Lord removed a great burden from your shoulders? Is your heart then filled with joy for grace in Christ? Do you sing forth those songs of deliverance that David speaks about? because many of us have grown up in the faith we can have the tendency to be somewhat blasé about it but there's nothing boring about the true repentance or the conversion of man when you experience this your whole life changes true conversion involves not just a heartfelt joy in the deliverance we have in Christ it also involves a thankful response to this deliverance Our catechism describes how the coming to life of the new nature includes a love and a delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. If Christ is alive in us, we will turn away from sinful thoughts and deeds that grieve God. We will meditate on His law, seeking to know how God wants us to live. We will seek to do the things that bring glory to God, that advance the kingdom of Christ. It'll be a joy for us to live in close communion with our Savior. In our sermon this afternoon, I've asked you a lot of questions, and that was done with specific intent. It was done to help you answer the question presented in our theme. Do the marks of conversion show forth in your life? Do you see in your life a godly sorrow for sin? Do you see in your life a godly joy in righteousness? Perhaps your answer is yes. Although your life with God has its ups and its downs, you see that the fruit of the Spirit is evident in you. What a cause for thankfulness and rejoicing. Praise God for his grace upon you. But beloved, perhaps you're not so sure about the state of your life with God. While you experience joy and grief in your life, you don't really see a lot of sorrow for sin or much Rejoicing in salvation. Perhaps the Lord's words to the lukewarm church of Laodicea apply to you. I'd like to read those words with you. We find them in Revelation 3, beginning at verse 14. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered. And I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Those But the Spirit says to the churches, Beloved, God in his grace comes knocking at the door of our hearts every time that we read from his word, every time we listen to a sermon, every time we involve ourselves in Bible study. Are we listening to his call? Do you hear the voice of the Good Shepherd calling your name? Are you repenting from your sins and seeking a living relationship with your Savior and Lord? By the power of the Spirit, are you living from out of the joy of your faith? Our Lord has a wondrous salvation in store for everyone who believes in Him. We may share in that already now, in our time here on earth. God gives joy to His people He allows us to rejoice in the gifts of salvation that he grants us. Yes, in our lives as Christians, we will continue to struggle against the devil, this world, and our own sinful flesh. There will be times of sadness because of sin and the results of sin. But our sadness is overcome by the joy of salvation, by the peace that comes from being restored in our relationship with God. Beloved, the joy and peace we may share during our time on earth is nothing compared to what we will receive in the time to come. One day, we will no longer need to be involved in the dying of the old nature and the coming to life of the new. We will enter a new life on new heavens and a new earth. A life in which we will be free from sin and from all its consequences. A life in which we will be able to serve God perfectly in all good works. A life of joy and bliss with God forevermore. Are you heading on the pathway of everlasting life? Amen.